This is your host, T. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibes Nation. Geek Vibes Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, 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 everyone, and good morning, and welcome to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me this morning, Brittany. How are you doing? Is it amazing? Um, I think it was last weekend I wasn't here, and that felt very weird. It felt very out of uh, normal routine. That is very true. Last week, uh, we did a top 10 with me, Dom, and the two Kevins from Gutting the Sacred Cow. And it was fun. It definitely was. I learned that I have, like, zero movies in common with one of the Kevins there. It's actually pretty funny. Um, Every time I post something on Twitter about a movie that I like, Kevin Israel will be like, Tia, we don't agree on any movies. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like most of the time we agree, so having that, like, disagreement on things would be pretty funny. Yeah, but it was a great episode. We did the top ten movies that shouldn't have been remade. And it was good. It was a really great show. But I am happy that you're back because it's always fun when you and I do our little one-on-one list. And I think this is a category that we can both really just have fun with. And it is the top 10 fantasy slash medieval error uh, shows and movies because we just really want to be broad about that. And I feel like so many movies... um, fall within those categories and I didn't want to say just do medieval but I didn't also want to do just fantasy so maybe this is just me being gluttonous and wanting to you know have my cake and eat it too but yeah I'm excited for it I am too because I was sitting there I was like man I realized whenever you know you brought this up I was like this is my type of like movie genre like, out of anything, I sat there and I was like, yep, this is where I belong. <laughs> exactly. It's a fun world that takes us out of the mundane and also somewhat depressing uh, times of our lives. So I think it's really great. Um, so this morning, before we dive any any further in, I don't know if that makes sense. I haven't had coffee this morning yet. I did have, however, do you remember, Brittany, those little, like, bread cakes from Deso that we had when you were here last year? Okay, I was already sitting there thinking about how bad I miss New York, and then you're going to, like, rub that in my face. Okay, I'm, I'm hopping off of here. Goodbye. <laughs> I love those things. They were so good. But before we go any further, we actually have a few um, messages from friends of the podcast. And the first one being, as I just mentioned, Gutting the Sacred Cow. Um, So Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast is where comedy meets film debate. 
Kevin Goatee and Kevin Israel are two stand-up comedians who are film snobs that invite fellow comedians and podcasters to select movies they find overrated or hate. But here's the catch. The film they select must meet one of three criteria, financial success, wildly beloved, or critically acclaimed. Can the guests make a good enough argument that convinces both Kevins to agree that the guest has, quote-unquote, gutted the sacred cow? You can hear the podcast on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google. Also, you can see them on YouTube. Go to guttingthesacredcow.com to find the link to your preferred platform, as well as see their daily blogs and merchandise store. That's guttingthesacredcow.com. Um, and they're a lot of fun. I definitely suggest checking them out. I had a great time when I was on their podcast, and they're just hilarious. And, of course, another podcast that you need to check out is Stranger Danies. And Stranger Danies is the ongoing Real Play D&D podcast from the main Danie family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the Wild Stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s than Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies, and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Stranger Damies. And lastly, of course, please make sure that you check out our friends Ricky and Jacob's show, Music City Drive-In. They bring you the latest in the world world of film, and they prepare you for the next award season. So, yeah, you got plenty of podcasts after you listen to our podcast, of, of course, to go and check out. But, Brittany, let's dive in. I just talked for, like, a solid two minutes, so you're going to start us off with number 10. I was laughing because I was like, oh, like, when you just said that, I was thinking, I was like, girl, I heard you talk 30 minutes about how bad you hated Star Wars. I can take two minutes to hear about our friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, before we go any further with this, but yeah, Brittany's 100% correct. We did a podcast a few weeks ago where we talked about the best and worst Disney movies, and I went back and listen to it there and I did like what number nine was the last Jedi and I swear I didn't come up for air for 30 minutes straight and as I was re-listening to it all I was thinking about was wow poor Brittany right now <laughs> what was funny is I loved it I was like I was like I'm just I'm gonna I'm just chilling I'm just I'm just listening to her like then I felt like a therapist for like Star Wars movies for 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it was. But you know what? Happier times. Let's go with uh, number 10. Brittany, what do you have for us? Okay, I was sitting back and thinking, and one of the first things that came to mind when you brought this up is, do you remember a little movie called uh, Dragon Heart? I don't. Like, go okay, I was going to say, uh, okay, it came out in 1996. But it was the story of, like, a knight who's kind of, like, disillusioned and, like, there's, like, basically no more dragons left, right? They've all been hunted down and killed. Well, this uh, knight, I think his name is, like, Knight Bowen or Bowen. I can't remember how you pronounce it because it's literally been, like, 
years, years and years and years. But I used to watch it with my mama, Brenda, you know, going over to her house, like, every weekend, and it would be playing, or we would watch it, like, on VHS tape. But uh, they learn that there is a dragon left alive, and this knight's like, well, I'm going to kill him. And it's so funny because, like, the knight at first is, like, very, like, I can't remember if the dragon is hurt. I think it's hurt. But I think it has, like, something, like, lodged in, like, in its body. And the knight, you know, he's trying to kill him. But ultimately, the uh, the dragon, I think, ends up, like, stepping on him. And they basically make an agreement, like, hey, you help me and I won't kill you. And it's kind of like a, like a, how to say it, like, it's symbiotic. It's like, okay, I let you live. You let me live. You know, I don't really care and I think at that point he doesn't really even want to I can't remember like he doesn't want to be a knight well they end up becoming best friends by the way the the dragon named like Draco is voiced by Sean Connery so you can imagine how fun that is um well they end up scamming villages what they would do is like the dragon would act like quote unquote because they're realizing you know the knight realizes dragons aren't evil and so but, you know, this dude's, like, the last dragon at this point, and it's, like, depressing for him, like, he is very, like, at first, like, hates humans, because he's, like, you know, y'all murdered everyone I ever cared or loved about, but they start scamming these villages together, right, where Draco will just swoop in and eat a few sheep, and then the knight will come and be like, oh, I'll save you if you pay me, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> acts like he chases them off, or acts like he kills them. Well, the thing that you end up learning is that the knight ended up training the current, like, king or, like, the tyrant of this place that's, like, very intent on killing dragons anyways. And it turns out, like, the dragon at some point gave this, uh, this man, like, when he was a child, like, a piece of his heart so that he would live. And that was also why he was upset. But the thing is, is that one can't exist without the other. If the dragon dies, the king dies. If the king dies, the dragon dies. But the thing is, is that the dragon, like, the tyrant's so bad, I think it ends up, like, the knight ends up having, like, they they agree on it. It's not one of those things where it's like, I can't remember how it goes, but Draco dies at the end, and the tyrant dies. And, you know, it's better it's in, you know, better times, right? But... Like, for me, like, I would just sob as a child. I was like, oh, I want Draco to die. Why does he have to die? And I know I'm, like, blabbering on, but I gotta tell you, like, so I was two years old when this came out, so I probably watched it, you know, we probably got bought on VHS for, like, my big brother, and I probably ended up re-watching it or just seeing it on TV. But I remember just sobbing. Like, I was, like, traumatized as a child. It was, like, the Green Mile, but it was, like, with dragons. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I think it inspired, like, a lot of, like, you know how much I love dragons or, like, like that kind of medieval time. And in my mind, it's the earliest memory I have of, like, watching dragons and something. And I thought it was so cool. It sounds like, I'm trying to, like, picture it in my head, right? And I feel like, why haven't I ever seen this before? But, it, so, is it an animated movie, or was it, like, live oh, action? live action. 
Oh, it's live action, and the dragon looks cool. But it's very, like, uh, what's it called? Like, the never-ending tale, or, like, what's the name of that movie? Like, like the like never-ending or something? Yeah, yeah, like, but, you know, like, the big fuzzy dog thing? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's, like, I'll send you a picture, but, like, for it was, like, the height of, like, um... Oh, it's just, like, so uh, put together. But honestly, for the time, like, oh, they kind of probably used for, like, um, what was that TV show where the the dinosaurs are, like, a family and they're dressed in, like, regular clothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I love that show. I used to watch that as a kid. Um, so I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, that's so funny, like, Sean Connery being the voice of a dragon. Like, I can't even picture that in my head, but it's also kind of, like, great just because of how, like, amazing of a voice he has. It must have been great to just, like, listen to that. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I sent you that picture so you could see, like, like for the time, it didn't look bad. I'm going to say that doesn't look bad at all. Like, that actually looks really freaking decent. Um, uh, yes. So, no, it sounds great. Like, I love the whole, you know, it, when you're a kid, whatever you can grab onto that's going to help you with this whole, like, mysticism and fantasy world is just, like, kind of amazing. And that's what it sounds like with Dragonheart for you. I think it looks, like, really great. I'm not... I'm surprised I've never heard of it, but I think I've told you that when I was a kid, I virtually didn't, like, watch anything that was live action at all. I only ever, like, watched cartoons and shit like that. I don't know why. I had such, like, an aversion to watching anything that was live action. You were, like, really excited. I'm going to go exist in this animated world. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I'm just going to exist in this animated world, and, like, that's about it. But I love the sound of it. I think that it's a perfect way to start this whole um, list off. And I think that with when it comes to fantasy and even, like, medieval shit, dragons just go hand in hand. I know. It's like, it, you know, it's funny because whenever, you know, I was doing D&D, you know, uh, I love it, but when I was a kid, I was like, well, this sounds weird, but I was like, but there's dragons in it, but I felt like D&D and, like, kind of, like, that aesthetic, like, I feel like the 90s was in love with me medieval time, too, because there's a few movies I can remember, I can't remember the names of them, but that were very, like, from that time, and I loved every minute of it, I thought it was so cool, but, uh, but yeah. It was definitely interesting. It kind of makes me want to rewatch it, but I'm afraid of tarnishing the memory of it. Oh, we've talked about that where you and I have said that there's this real thing that potentially you could tarnish your love of something just by going back and rewatching it. But I feel like it's funny you say that with like medieval times and dragons and stuff. You know what I honestly think it is? I think that we had such an obsession with dinosaurs at some point, and, like, dragons are kind of, like, di like mystical oh, dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, maybe right. that's where they come from? Uh, and I felt like there were so many movies trying to explain, like, dragons existed, but, you know, they, uh, 
they went extinct at some point because of the medieval times. And, and I would always feel like, what? I remember there was a, on Animal Planet, back when I was, like, watching Animal Planet 24-7, you know, they had a whole documentary that, like, if dragons existed, you know, this would be, like, how they would have to do it. Like, I remember they're like, they have a gas sack in their stomach that allows them to breathe this gas, and then they ignite it somehow. And I was like, the fuck? Yeah, that sounds a bit strange to me, honestly. Um, I don't know, but I love it. Dragonheart is how we are going to start off this list. I will hit number nine. And um, so I love, I mean, in a different sort of list, right, this would be maybe higher. Um, but I just wanted to put it out there because I loved this movie. Love, love, love this movie. Um, the whole world that it was set in so the movie that i'm talking about is a nice tale i don't know if you ever watched a nice tale but it stars the late and great keith ledger and it's sort of this retelling of old jeffrey chaucer um what you calls it uh stories you know like everyone knows shakespeare but another great writer of that time was Jeffrey Chaucer, who literally had a story, whatever, called A Knight's Tale. So it's loosely based on that. It's not 100%, but I loved the movie because it's very much in like a Renaissance era. And I love the Renaissance fair. So, of course, you know, like the costumes and like jousting and everything was really like my jammy jam there. But it's also really interesting. So it takes place during that time, but it has, like, modern-day music. Like, at some point, they play uh, We Will Rock You, you know, by Queen. So it's oh, this stomping. I, uh, <laughs> I, I have that embedded into my mind, and that was the first time I had ever heard that song. Did you know that, like, I had I not heard that song, <laughs> and I thought it only existed from that movie. Until I got a little bit older, and my big brother got obsessed with Queen, and I was like, that's from a noise tune. (laughs) (laughs) So you are pretty, like, um, familiar with Night's Tale, but for anyone out there who isn't, it's about uh, Heath Ledger's character, who is pretty much a quote-unquote nobody, which sounds wrong, but, like, back then it was, like, really important that you come from noble blood. And he wants to be a, you know, a jouster, but you can't unless you are of noble blood. So he meets up literally with, like, Jeffrey Chaucer, who is played by Paul Bettany, um, and his other, like, pretty much ragtag group of misfits who make up this whole entire backstory of him being noble so that he can go and participate in all of these jousts, and he's really good at it, too, you know, and it's a real great, like, underdog sort of movie about, you know, someone pretty much rewriting their destiny, because it, you know, back then, it's like, you couldn't be someone who was poor and improve, like, your lot in life. It's like, if you were born into a poor family, you were just poor for your whole entire life, and that was it, so it's really, um, you know, inspiring watching someone like that just pretty much choose their own path in life. And I loved it. Like, I don't know if you remember Brittany, but I love the scene where he does get quote unquote found out 
and he's just kind of standing there and who is it like the actual like an actual prince or something like found a uh like bloodline of nobility for him so that he can like continue to joust and he can, you know, not be imprisoned and possibly beheaded. <laughs> so, like, that, that's the wild thing. And what, I, what always got me is about uh, like knights as people would be like, Oh, they became a knight. And I'm like, they're like after this. And I'm like, only like rich people. Like it was supposed to be like an honor for like a noble, like to have his son become a knight. And I was like, well, what were the peasants when I was learning in history? Like, you just shoved uh, some weapons in their hand and said, go at it. They didn't get the, the armor. They didn't. They just kind of wore the clothes on their backs. But the knights were, like, basically, like, I guess, like, a, a captain at that point. And it's like, yeah. let me uh, leave my ragtag team of uh, peasants. But, but, yeah, no, continue. I just, I really do. My mom was obsessed with this movie. Well, I just loved the movie because it was a feel-good movie. As I said, it took place in this kind of like medieval renaissance sort of era, which is something that I really like as, from someone who loves going to the Renaissance Fair. And Heath Ledger, Paul Bettany were fantastic in it. It has this love story, of course, but and also the modern-day rock music that was also incorporated in the movie. It was just fun. Like, it was one of those fun movies and you felt really good as it went on and all that like you just kind of wanted Heath Ledger's characters to succeed because in a way you felt like that was you succeeding I don't know but I loved it and that was another reason like really quick why I thought originally that Heath Ledger wouldn't have been a good joker because he had done movies like A Knight's Tale and Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, but, of course, I was, like, wrong as hell. But, yeah, uh, A Knight's Tale is definitely my number nine. I love this movie. It's one of the most uh, fantastic movies of all time. So what do you think? I was going to say, like, I haven't seen it in so long, but, like, I think the most of the memories that stick out in my head is, like, the naked dude, like, on the road. That was, like, Paul Bettany's character, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Sorry, I muted myself when I was talking. What did you say? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I said uh, the guy that was naked that was work uh, that was walking. That was Paul Bettany's character, right? Because I remember just seeing his butt cheeks, and as a kid, you're like, no, gross, butt cheeks. But, uh, it, but I can't remember why he's walking naked. Did, did he lose them, or did he get mugged? Um, so really quick for those who don't know, Paul Bettany is the guy who plays Vision in the Marvel movie, so I guess if you want to see his ass, you can uh, turn on a night's tale. No, he's naked. Because he has an extreme gambling problem, but he loses all the time, so he lost, and they took his clothes as, like, payment. And I gotta imagine clothes back then were super fucking expensive. You probably just kept the clothes that you had and just hoped for the best. Yeah, pretty much. Man, that's a good movie, though. I really do enjoy it. Now I want to rewatch it to you. <laughs> no, it's a perfect movie to like rewatch. I just think it's a whole lot of fun, and 
it makes you feel good, has a happy ending, and of course has like the obligatory um like sad parts especially when i guess Heath ledger kind of like revisits his past and all that so i think it's a great movie and certainly one that i suggest um so that would be number nine uh britney what is your number eight do you remember the disney movie the sword in the stone yes that- oh my god yes <laughs> let's see okay this movie inspired my love of, like, that tale, and I don't think as a kid, like, that's an older movie. I think that movie came out, like, a few years probably before I was born. Now I gotta look it up. Let me see. But, I'm gonna uh, look. You keep talking. Okay. Well, like, this one in the stone, what I loved about it was, one, like, at first you don't, like, as a kid, because I'd never heard this before, you don't understand that the kid is, like, King Arthur, you just know his name is Wart. And, you know, he's raised by a knight who has his son. Like, I can't remember what the knight's name is, but, but, you know, but the thing is, is that you can tell the knight that raised him does care enough that, like, he made Wart his son's squire. So you're like, okay, he at least wants to see him go down the knight path, but you don't really know why, like, he's raising him, which you find out like an Arthur's, in the true Arthur tale, you know, Merlin gave the boy to him to raise, and all these things, but, you know, I guess it's like, you know, for Merlin, there's like this certain distrust, like, where nobody wants to trust the wizard and his magic, and going through the whole Arthur's tale, remember the witch that turns into a dragon? I will hear her high-pitched voice in my nightmares. I like that movie. Like, what was that? No, I said I remember it. I so I remember what you were talking about. Right. So like, uh, so I'm trying to remember, but like, I the whole time you're like, oh man, I really want to see Arthur pull out the stone, like pull out the sword from the stone, and you think. You know, you've seen where a million people have tried to yank it out. You know, you hear the tale like, oh, whoever should pull it out will be king. But watching Arthur go along with Merlin for his adventure, I was like, man, that'd be so cool if I just randomly ran off with an old man that said he knew magic. I'm just joking, by the way. But that does seem kind of suspect. Like, when you, like, look back at these kind of movies and you're like, who, where are your parents? Who are watching you? Why'd they just let you run off with this weird magic man? But, uh, I'm trying to remember, that's but, like, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, that's how it was back in the day. And just go off the adventure. <laughs> Apparently. But when the witch turns into the dragon, I always thought that was such, like, a neat thing, because, like, you know, they're having, like, basically a magic off her and Merlin, and trying to figure things out, like, oh, who's the better, you know, and having this whole thing, and then she turns into a dragon, and you're like, okay, it's too far. I think she ended up cheating, and they were supposed to turn into something that was, like, real or something, and she turned into a dragon, she's like, oh, well, dragons are real, and it's like, well, at that point, I don't think they really were, but, um, but yeah, watching Arthur pull his sword out of stone was, like, the height of that movie, where I was, like, and it slides out so easily, it, like, comes out like butter, and I'm like, well, I guess the little boy's the king, and they kept calling him Mort, but then you're like, oh, he's King Arthur, but, I don't know, I, 
I want to watch it again. Um, so the sword and the stone came out in 1963. So definitely way before either of us were born. But I, so this movie was my introduction to the whole King Arthur story. That's how I knew about the whole King Arthur, the sword, Lancelot, and all that. That's how, like, I even was introduced to that whole realm of storytelling was because of the sword and the stone. Um, and I love it. There, of course, is so much I don't remember about it because it was so long ago that I watched it. But there's... As I said with, say, A Knight's Tale, there's something about that whole, like, underdog sort of story that really just kind of captures you and brings you in. And I feel like that's how it was with, say, The Sword of the Stone, with the King Arthur tale, this whole story of no one else can pull the, uh, the sword from the stone, but this little, like, dweeby-looking kid... Because he was, like, skinny and scrawny and, like, tiny. That's what they made him look like, right? Yeah. Oh, no, he's really tiny. But, like, you know, he's just a little kid. And, like, the the knight that he's learning under is, like, the squire and stuff. They're, like, tall and, you know, strong. And, you know, everybody has a deep voice like this. And, you know, you have Arthur, who's prepubescent and soft-spoken and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And you're just, like... Aw, I was like, Arthur was adorable in that movie. It was, he really was. I love this. I I almost forgot what it was even called, but it's so funny. A pick of mine that I'll mention probably the next one um, is kind of the image that I had in my head for these characters, even though it's been so long since I've actually watched the movie. But, you know, he's this, like, young little boy who I'm pretty sure the sword was, like, bigger than him. Oh, it was, because I remember, like, it it almost said the sword had to come out, like, you would think, like, at an angle for him to even get it up, and he's, like, dragging it, like, whenever he's, like, Basically, he forgets the the knight's uh, sword for jousting, right? And he forgets it, and he's, like, so desperate, he runs off, and he knows that he can't, like, make it back to where it is before, like, you know, his knight's, like, jousting happens, like, his match happens. So he sees the sword in the stone, and he's like, well, I'll just take that, and then grabs it, like, drags it all the way back. Look at this random sword that's stuck in a stone. That's definitely something that I should just randomly pull out and drag along with me. Oh, I know. But that, like, that has such feel good for me. And, like, I love that that's both how we learned about, like, that type of story. And I feel like it did kind of foster a love for, like, that magic shit. I'm like, well, I want to learn magic. It's also very... God, I don't know what, like, the word or the description of it would be, but, you know, kind of showcasing that you need to be, say, a good... Like, there's lessons there, right? Obviously, this movie was made... It came out as a cartoon movie, so it came out in the 60s, and you know that kids are going to see it, right? Well, what's the lesson here? You have to be kind-hearted. You have to be good in order to be able to be worthy to wield this sword. Does it matter how big and tough and strong you are if you're not good of heart 
then you can't wield the sword. And I think that was the whole premise when it came to this thing. But can you imagine? So is, so the line is like, uh, whoever wields this sword shall be the one true king. And imagine you're like part of this village or whatever, you know, and you get told that this little boy will now be your king. And you're like, what? <laughs> he hasn't even had puberty yet. <laughs> like, like like I'm pretty sure, like, like I, I think he was like I don't know how old, but like I, he had to be like younger than fourteen. He was probably like twelve in this, and I'm like, yeah. Like at the end, you see him all dressed up in like clothes that are way too big for him. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, the king, and he's just like looking around, so fucking confused. <laughs> I would love to rewatch this. Um, but again, it's one of those things, Brittany, where it's like, will it ruin um, my perception of it? Oh, I hate this. <laughs> funny because, like, war current tellings are so much more gritty that you were like, Merlin isn't some weird, goofy man and just a hat and all that fun stuff. Well, so I feel like I'm almost obligated to put this down for a number uh what number am i number seven um because it goes perfectly with your number eight pick and so i'm just gonna do it and i'm putting down cursed which which Brittany knows i've been obsessed with it lately so for anyone who doesn't know cursed is a new netflix original series that just came out probably about Oh, I don't know, um, two weeks ago, and it is a quote-unquote retelling of the old King Arthurian tale, which, you know, goes directly kind of, you know, hand-in-hand with Brittany's pick of Sword in the Stone, but Curse follows around Niway, who is an actual character in the whole King Arthur folklore. In the King Arthur folklore, she is known as the Lady of the Lake, and I guess you can kind of call this, say, like a prequel to Arthur getting the sword, but so Niway is this fae, right, um, which is like, what What would you call them, Brittany, like little elves, fairies, and stuff like that? It, it's funny because, like, whatever I would think of, like, fairies, like, small, right, but the fae folk are basically, like, human-sized fairies slash elves. Yeah, something along the line. Yeah, so she's a fae who, through events that end up happening that are pretty gruesome, she ends up wielding the sword, the, you know, Excalibur. And that's the whole tagline of the show is, what if the sword chose a queen instead of a king? But you have Niway, she's played by Catherine Langford, and she's a really good character to kind of follow around in first, and I really like her. So she, we do end up seeing King Arthur, she ends up meeting up with him, and they pretty much are fighting against um, the church, which sounds really bad. They end up having to, like, fight up against the Catholic church because... It's these group of, like, monks called the Red Paladins that are going from, like, Fey Village to Fey Village to destroy them, literally burning them on a cross, right? And it's so, so fucked up. 
Which is so messed up. So Niwei has this sword that she herself doesn't even like truly understand the power behind it, but she knows because her mom had a dying wish to give this sword to Merlin. And it's funny what Brittany said. It's like, oh, Merlin in, like, say, the Sword of the Stone is just this goofy character. Well, in Cursed, he is a drunkard, played by Gustav Skarsgård. And Niway doesn't know why, but she has to return the sword to Merlin because apparently Merlin's going to know what to do with it. And from there, there's so many layers of finding out these characters um, Merlin, although he is, say, a drunkard, has it. I feel like his um, ineb- constant inebriation is pretty much a cover for just how depressed, I guess he, you would say he is, because he's lived like hundreds and hundreds of years and he's done some really messed up things. He's lost a lot. And at this point, he's just kind of like a shell of the the tale and fable that he once was like everyone knows who Merlin is there's even at some point when Niway is kind of sitting there like you know my mom told me to take this to Merlin but does she mean Merlin the magician I didn't even know that that person was real right um so it's just all these adventures of her kind of coming into her own having to really just deal with the weight of the whole i really sitting here saving the Fae against the Red Paladins. And there's, you know, there's so much going on with, like, kings and, you know, who is the rightful heir, who really deserves to wield the sword. You discover so much about Arthur himself and his background. And as Brittany and I were talking about one time over the phone, there are a lot of differences uh, between, say, Cursed and the real King Arthur tale, such as there is a King Uther in Curse, and I believe you had told me this, Brittany, that in the story, King Uther is Arthur's father, but that's not how it is at all in this show. They definitely kind of mix things up, which I don't mind. There was a lot of awesome twists. There was a lot of, like, really good reveals that I don't want to ruin for anyone because it is a really good show. I think that Catherine Langford did an amazing job as Niway, and I thought that she was a really good, um, like, main character to kind of follow around. And her and Arthur have a have really good chemistry together. <laughs> I just like what you said, like how Merlin is more of like a Jack Sparrow drunk esque person who's kind of flamboyant in his movements, like you know, very like. Very dramatic, and I am very a certain way about things. You know, like, very, like, you know, that type of person, and I love that shit, but, uh... He definitely is, he definitely is like that, but I also feel that there are times that he uses it to his advantage. Like, really quick, there's one part where... So there's a part where he has to essentially steal something from another, say, Shadow Lord which is what he is, and he goes to the Shadow Lord, King uh, Ragan, and he gets really drunk, and he kind of, like, stumbles around and leans on King Ragan at some point, because Ragan's like, oh my god, you're drunk, right? And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 and he's, like, patting him, you know, and to the king, he just thinks that 
Merlin is quite drunk and just whatever. But as he's being taken to his room, you see that Merlin stole keys from the king. And it was on purpose for him to, like, have an excuse pretty much to kind of, like, lean on him. Like, oh, I'm drunk. Look, I oops, I just, you know, I fell on you. But in reality, it was a way for him to get the keys off of him. I feel like he's such, like, he's he's a lovable dick. And I feel like that's, like, just <laughs> pro But, like, I love what you said, like, I love Faye. And I feel like the Faye don't get enough play because, you know, what gets me about it is, like, you hear about fairies and you hear about elves, but you don't hear about the Faye often. And I always thought, like, I used to read books, at, book after book about, like, the summer court and the winter court. Because, you know, the summer court's considered good because they bring in the growth and the winter fae are bad because they kill off things. But, you know, the natural cycle of life is what they help bring in, right? But it's like how you described how, like, there's some with antlers, some with wings, some that look like humans. I I love that shit. I love the fae. Like, I love when people do cosplays and they have the pointy ears. And I'm like, what is our affinity for, like, elf ears anyways? Have you noticed that? Like, I think we just think of it so as, like, very ethereal, very pretty. And I'm like, I'm like, I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, I want pointy ears. That's like (laughs) surgery you can get to, like, get your ears made into elf ears. Yeah, that's a little extreme for me, but I do know that there are people out there who get them. Um, Yeah, I had never really, say, been into the Fae before I watched this show. And then I think I became really, say, into them because of learning that there are so many different sorts of Fae out there, say, like, Niway and her friend Pim look like normal, say, human beings, and then you have, as Brittany just mentioned, ones with antlers, ones with wings, and they're really interesting, the whole um, thing. Merlin, at some point, points out something that I thought was funny, and I sat there, and I was like, is this really the reason? I don't think it is, but I thought that his thing was funny, so in the beginning of the show, um, King Uther, because Merlin is uh, King Uther's advisor. This is why you find out a lot of Fae don't like Merlin because they feel like he's a traitor to their kind since he works with kings, uh, you know, uh, human kings. But Uther is saying to Merlin, you know, um, this is your kind who are getting slaughtered and you really don't seem moved by it at all and he was like well you know frankly the fae are are good farmers and every once in a while people see that and they pick some sort of excuse to raid their villages so this is just the father cardin's excuse he's making it a religious thing but in reality they just want their goods which i don't think was real but his like reasoning i thought was kind of funny there but they're all really good like father cardin his whole thing, there's a character called the Weeping Monk, who is essentially, like, their assassin that pretty much whenever they need, like, for the Red Paladins, whenever they need, like, shit really fucked up, they call him in and you find out shit. But he's also very layered. It's interesting, like, he won't hurt children. There's a character in it uh, called Squirrel, 
this little boy and as uh, and he's so he's so um what's the word spunky and no matter what the weeping monk like refuses to hurt him even though like you see he kills everyone without hesitation without even blinking but for some reason he won't hurt this little boy and he has a problem against hurting children even though father Cardin has no problem hurting children and setting them on fire it's so much there's so much going on but it's a really great story i absolutely loved what happened in the end it was such an amazing payoff where i was sitting there and i was like just waiting for it. I was like, oh my God, please, 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 please let this finally happen. Like I thought it was going to be one of those things where at the end it was like they were going to tease it, but it wasn't going to go there and it went there. And, and I'm trying not to spoil it because I thought it was so good that I really need people to actually watch the show, watch the show and see what happened. I was just saying like that, you know what gets me with the Father Cardin thing, by the way, is, like, you would think, like, it would be more blasphemous to be burning crosses, but they're like, no, this is going to, like, purify them somehow. And I'm like, I don't get your math here. Like, can you, like, spell it out <laughs> for me? Can you write it down on a piece of paper? Like, because when I think of burning a cross, I'm thinking, oh, that's really fucked up. But they're like, oh, we got these things scattered everywhere, and there's a fate tacked right onto them and, you know, burned to death. I'm like... Well, you know, it's funny, I, I beat Outlast, right? And, uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't played that game, the priest ends up, like, crucifying himself to a cross and setting himself on fire. And I'm like, what is up with fire and crosses lately? Like, it's like one thing after another. It's really messed up, so if I can, this is a small spoiler, and I'll, just, like, one last thing is, so at some point, Niway, right, kind of becomes almost like a legend throughout. She almost becomes like a symbol for the Fae um, to become hopeful, and she becomes a threat to the Red Paladins. They call her the Wolf Blood Witch because there was at some point when she first got the sword that she was being chased by all these wolves, um, and she had to kind of like, you know, take them out. And so uh, she kind of became known after that as the Wolf Blood Witch, right? So uh, all these, like, stories of the Wolf Blood Witch are circling around fae villages, kind of showing them, like, oh, we don't have to be scared anymore. We can fight back. And there's that one point where the Red Paladins know that they need to stop this sort of thinking if they're ever to be successful because they're not just looking to like quote unquote cleanse the fae they also want to get the god what is it called i can't think today i'm sorry about this they also want to partner up with the kings so that they can spread catholicism to all of the kingdoms and they can have this power by pretty much being with the kings in all of the villages right so they can't have someone like the quote-unquote Wolfblood Witch aspiring and inspiring people to rebel. So it's really messed up. At some point, they get this one fae, and she is a fae because ha- she has, like, horns, and she kind of looks like Niway because she has, like, this wild hair and everything, and you hear the paladins go, oh, yeah, she'll do, right? And they literally put her on a cross in front of this village going, here she is, 
the wolf blood witch, you know, we're going to set her on fire right now so that you can all see that we, the paladins, you know, have taken her down and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, sucks because this girl didn't do anything wrong. She's not Nimue, but they make it seem like she is so that they can kind of like kill the image and the whole aspiration of Nimue to kind of get people to stop following her. But it's really fucked up because this one Faye pretty much dies for no reason. Well, that's pretty messed up. I'm pretty bummed out about that, Tia. I know. Um, another part, really quick before I move on, I love this show, so I can probably talk about it nonstop on end forever, but I love Merlin and his relationship with the Widow, who is essentially a version of death, um, and how Merlin is all creepy. She's so creepy, I know. <laughs> but he's always trying to, like, get her to kill him, pretty much. He's like, oh, is it finally my time? And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, pity, pretty much. But they're, like, friends, and they call each other friends. Like, Merlin's like, oh, do this for an old friend, you know, and Widow will be like, you know, as your friend. So it's, like, kind of funny, like, Merlin's friends with death, pretty much. <laughs> I, I love the, like, you wouldn't expect, especially in this kind of time period where, you know, normally if something's said, it's very set in stone, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. you can't change prophecy. You can't do this, right? And, and when the widow's like, that would be breaking the rules. And he's like, can't you do this one thing for me? And she's just like, like oh, okay, okay, all right. Just get off my ass. <laughs> Yeah, it's not bothering me, Merlin. But, um, yeah, I don't want to spend any more time on this just because we do have a whole rest of the list to go through. But please, everyone, make sure that you check out Curse because I am obsessed. Uh, Brittany, what is your number six? I'm going to go with The Hobbit. And I know there's some people that are going to be like, oh, you're not going to put The Lord of the Rings, but you'll put The Hobbit. And it's because I have not seen Lord of the Rings. I don't have a week to watch a movie. <laughs> I love the aesthetic uh, and everything, but it's for some reason, I guess because it's so long, I, every time I try to watch it, I fall asleep, but maybe it's because I've never like truly tried to watch it with anybody. I tried to watch it on the airplane when I came to see you one time, and I fell asleep, and I, fell, and I remember... I fell asleep because I fell asleep with my mouth open and the like a flight attendant laughed at me when she came by to ask me something. But, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I remember this pretty clearly. But The Hobbit, you know, is about the, the dwarves. You know, they lost their kingdom to, to Schmaug or Smog, you know, voiced by Benedict. Uh, uh, yeah, Benedict, I was about to call him, like, one of his goofy names, because sometimes <laughs> I remember them, like, better than his actual name. But I love, like, I'm trying to think of who he is. The Hobbit, like, uh, oh, I can't remember his name offhand. But I just love a good adventure movie. It, they probably could have done it in one movie, they said, but, you know, they had to end up making it three movies, because, of course, they had to bleed this, like, few hundred page book dry you know like because lord of the rings is made up of like huge books right like multiples and the hobbit is just one like very thin book compared to that like it's probably like 500 pages and they squeeze three movies out of it 
But uh, I don't know. I, they, had, I, they had to get that coin. They had to get that coin. I, I just imagine, like, the producer, the director, like, smog, like, hoarding his gold after, like, the movie's released. <laughs> like, yes, this is mine. But, you know, they're on an adventure. You have, uh, oh, what was his name? Oh, Bilbo Baggins, right? Uh, who, you know, hobbits like to just be left alone. They want to live in the Shire. They have their little homes. It's cute. And even, I think, by hobbit standards, uh, Bilbo just wants to be, like, left alone. But he ends up, like, I can't remember what they end up needing, but they wanted him, I think, because he's small and hobbits are, like, light on their feet. And they, you know, the dwarves need to get into this place. Uh, the dwarves are all funny. There's like a like, there's quite a few of them, right? They end up uh, going on this big mission because they lost. Uh, I think it's called Iron Forge, or like it's called something, but it's in this huge mountain, and it was their home. And after the dragon came, uh, I think like their king had found like a very giant stone like a very precious jewel and it was called like diamond of the mountain or like treasure of the mountain and that was what attracted the dragon in the first place but even like the elves are always dickheads in the lord of the rings because they have a very big like superiority complex not all of them but especially the uh the head elf which played by yo man from Mm -hmm. uh all catch fire what's his name Pace. <laughs> yeah, he's in it. And uh, even he, like, he mocks the dwarves, like, openly, like, oh, you know, well, I could, you know, basically, I don't want to help you because you lost it in the first place. Like, he's very, like, hates human, like, to him, it's like, he is very racist in that sense. Like, as true as it can go to, like, literally the races of like the dwarves the humans the the hobbits like elves are in his eyes like the most superior because they live hundreds of years and all that fun stuff which i think uh hobbits and dwarves live pretty long too but elves are supposed to be able to be like if they die they can be reborn but i think they're also the reason why like orcs exist because that's basically like an undead elf that's been like resurrected in a very corrupt way. But I think for me, like the difference was, is the Hobbit's like an easier to manage story. Like there's a lot of lore, but they do kind of like spread it out for you. Like, Hey, this is what happened. You know, they kind of do flashbacks to what happened. And, you know, uh, at some point the ring, the one true ring to rule them all comes into play. And you learn, like, why Bilbo was so obsessed with the ring back whenever uh, Lord of the Rings starts. And you see him make this really scary face because he's older. Which, by the way, that actor passed away recently, and that's pretty sad. But uh, not the one in The Hobbit, but the one that plays the same character in the Lord of the Rings series. But uh, I know I'm, like, babbling on. It's just there's so much to it. But I love their songs that they sing in it like the dwarves song but uh just going on it's a very like oh we're going on an adventure you know these things get in our ways but you know you know we got elves we got good guys that are sometimes bad guys we got bad guys that are sometimes good guys i don't know it's just i'm obsessed with it (laughs) so um i love this by the way i have never seen lord of the rings um actually okay 
I feel like I watched the first one, right? In some sort of hotel back when my parents and I went on vacation and I thought it was so boring. I wanted to fall asleep, which I know that anyone who's like a Lord of the Rings fan probably just like shut this off right now. It's one of those things where it's like, you know how in say geekdom, there's the pillars of being a geek, right? It's Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, and like Lord of the Rings, right? And it's like, I just have never dipped a toe really into the Lord of the Rings realm. Um, And the only reason why ever, Brittany, ever had a desire to watch the Hobbit movies is because of Lee Pace. He's so beautiful. He's such a beautiful man. (laughs) I would say that the next time I come over that we should watch it, but we would get through the first movie, and I'd be like, I gotta go home now, and you're like, you just got here, and I'm like, Tia, it's been four days. (laughs) (laughs) I know, they're so long. Like, that's the funny part, really quick, I know this has nothing to do with anything, but when they were complaining that Avengers Endgame was going to be three hours. I was talking to a few people who were like, clearly none of those people who complain are Lord of the Rings fans, considering those movies are like four hours long. But um, it's interesting with The Hobbit, right? I I feel like I want to watch it, you know? Like, I want to check it out. I want to see what this is about. Because as you said, it kind of feels like it would be easily digested as opposed to Lord of the Rings. And you have Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays like the freaking dragon um and he's reunited with martin freeman who they both you know were on sherlock as sherlock and watson and you have freaking lee pace i don't know to me that sounds definitely more alluring than anything else and maybe i can call myself more of a nerd if i at least watch something within that world Oh, I know. And I was going to say, in The Hobbit, it does have Lee Pace, so you could still have your obsession while uh, having that, so you'd be good. Have you watched all three movies, or have you just watched, like, one? I have watched all of them. Which one would you say, if you can remember, is your favorite? Probably the first one, because you kind of love, like, everybody learning to kind of trust each other. Because the the one true dwarf king that's, like, with them, right, he, um, what's the word for it? He, uh, he really doesn't want, I don't think, like, Bilbo going at first, and, because he's, like, you know, dwarves have got honor, and, you know, he's very intense and very strong, a warrior, blah, blah, you know. Well, Bilbo's kind of soft and kind of wants to just be left alone, but I think, like, he ends up, like, proving himself to the Dwarf King, and, like, you know, things are better, but, like, I I guess it's, like, with the first one, you do kind of have to build up in the setup and the character development, while, you know, each movie is, like, an addition to that, so I guess I'd have to go with the first one. Isn't it also with hobbits that they eat all the time? Like, they oh, yeah. have first breakfast, second breakfast, stuff like that. I mean, in that sense, I feel like I can relate. <laughs> I, I think it's like they have first breakfast, second breakfast. Uh, they have brunch. They have, like, what's called, I think, like, a snack. They have lunch. And they have, uh, like, I can't remember what their, like, mid-dinner, like, meal is called. And then they have, like, pre-dinner. And then they have dinner. And then they have a good <laughs> night snack. Like, you know, like, anything you can think of, like, because, like, you know, the famous, like, uh, 
first breakfast, what about second breakfast? And, you know, being very upset about wanting their food. I just, I don't know. It's relatable. But I also sit there and go, how do they have time to do anything else within their day if they're constantly eating? I know. It's like, that's the whole thing, like, why I think they never want to leave the Shire, because it's very comfortable. And the Hobbits, like, just be kind of left alone. They like their cute little houses. They like to eat, you know. And that was the whole thing, is I think, like, all the Hobbits, like, it's, like are very, like, kind of social within their own group, while Bilbo is like, fuck off, leave me alone. I don't want to deal with any of you type person. There's mm-hmm. a stuff where he finally comes home, right? Mm-hmm. And comes home to, like, the hobbits all selling his stuff. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, we thought you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of morons. Um, yeah. didn't, didn't you say at some point that um, when I was telling you about, say, Cursed, you were saying that it reminded you a little of Lord of the Rings because when they were saying that the sword was corrupting whoever held it and people felt, say, obsessed with the sword. The sword and- of power. They go like the sword of power, and it's like, and they go, like, the ring of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. So, like, it's funny that these are going one after each other, uh, one after another, because I we were talking about the similarities of two. But I, I always remember the whole thing with the ring, right? My precious, my precious. Um, and of course, it, oh god, I showed you clerks, right? I showed yes, you clerks one and two. I think I've had it like. Because I was talking about something to someone uh, yesterday. I think it was because I started playing uh, World of Warcraft uh, Classic, right? And yeah. so it was the very first, like, World of Warcraft that came out. And uh, and I said something. I said, all I think about is, like, every time we're the rings, I think of clerks where he's like, all they're doing is just walking. And he's like, you want to He's just walking. He stops. And they're like, Pulls off a and then he made like the ultra lord of the rings fan throw up because he suggested that the two characters were romantically involved and he said that it would have been a better ending to see them like have sex with each other and the guy was just like fuck you rip and he goes, oh, you nasty, and he, like, starts gagging. <laughs> so that's really my experience with Lord of the Rings. But I'm telling you, Brittany, first of all, not to sound ultra-sappy on air, but I love Brittany, and I always just want, like, us to know what the hell each other is talking about. So it's like, if Brittany loves this, it's like, I want to experience it as well, so that at least, like, we can talk about it. And also kind of, like, an insight of, like, you know, what you enjoy. So I want to watch The Hobbit. I think it's on Hulu. So maybe I'll check it out. And also, as I said, I'm sorry. Lee Pace is a beautiful, beautiful man. And I will watch anything that he's in. So, yeah, maybe that will be what I watch this afternoon. I was going to say that, too, if you, but also if you get bored, because I still need to watch Cursed. But I could not fall asleep last night because Netflix has that new mafia like documentary called Fear City. 
And it makes me want to, like, pick your grandparents' minds. Like, what was it like during that time to live in New York? Because that shit is crazy. Like, they said, like, they said it was all, and I was like, and I got to learn about Rudy, uh, Rudy Giuliani, the man who yeah. said he cleaned up New York from the grittiness that it was. And I don't know. I love it. I love all of it, Tia. I That's will say that there, I will say there's a difference, though. I'm going to say that on air. That's New York City. We're not New York Cityers. I mean, we're in New York. We're in Westchester, New York. So we're very close to the city. But there's a difference between the culture of New York City and the people who lived outside of New York City. So my grandparents probably couldn't tell you as much about New York City. They could tell you about how it was living in Westchester. Oh, yeah. I mean. I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's clo-. By the way, I thought it was funny because Aaron has a friend that's from New York City, and he said something, and, like, the guy goes, not even New Yorkers like New Yorkers. He goes, but, like, like no one from New York City is from New York. He said, not even New Yorkers like New York City people or something. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> I was, like, I was like, oh shit, he was, uh, he was serious. That's because people who, like, live in New York City and who are, like, born in New York City, because there's, again, like, there's such different cultures of people where it's, like, there's people who live in New York City, but they weren't born in New York City, but then you have the people who are born in New York City and they still live in New York City, and those people hardly leave the island. It's like, yo, you know there's a world outside, right? And it's like, why? You can get everything you need in New York City. It's like, yeah, I get that, but, like, you should probably still leave every once in a while. But, um... <laughs> But what was I going to say? It is crazy with Rudy Giuliani really quickly. I'm not trying to get like ultra political, but it is insane to have this man who like did clean up New York City because it was like, you know, New York City was bad. This is why it has like such a reputation. Why even my grandparents, when I would go to New York City, my grandpa always being like, watch your phone, you know, watch your wallet, you know, and how your parents were like all nervous. And it's like, because there was... Because there was, like, crime and there was this and that, you know, like, so badly to the point where, like, nothing was good about it, right? Like, really, it was, like, a dangerous concrete jungle. And Rudy Giuliani did clean it up. And he was our mayor during 9-11, you know? So there is, like, as a New Yorker, you have this, like, sort of respect for Rudy Giuliani, right? But now he's, like, an ultra-Trump supporter and he's spewing out, like, nonsense. It's like, oh, come on, Rudy, why? Why? Like, please. Now, now, no one likes you. Now we all sit there and like think that you're a joke. And it's like you could have just completely remained pristine in our minds, but of course you have to go off and like ramble. You know, it's funny you talk about that one. By the way, I feel like it's like Star Wars, where it's like you were the chosen one. Chosen. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's funny you said that because when fear city you know they were talking about like i know we're off topic but it was because it's so good to you, you have to watch i ended up watching it all that but um you know with the mob owning like every like union and every like concrete business and they said you know in the 80s, yeah, there was a skyscraper going up, like, every block, like, these huge, massive, you know, just everywhere, 
And, you know, they were getting the millions off of that. And I think even the Trump Tower was built, like, by mobsters or, like, they, like, we're talking about the Trump Tower and with the mafia, but I can't remember what point they were making. And I was like, oh, Trump Tower. But I wonder if they just threw that in because it just came in and they were like, we'll, we'll make a nod to that in the political spectrum. Probably. Probably. I will watch it. I will definitely watch it because I love that type of shit. But, yeah. Uh, Brittany did number six, The Hobbit. I'm going to move on to number five. And I love this movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I haven't seen the second one just because I thought that the first one was so good and it didn't need necessarily a second one. But I'm putting Maleficent down. Um, and it's, yeah. So Maleficent was one of essentially like the first movies that came out where it was a more adult, say, retelling of a classic, right? And, you know, we all, I I don't want to say we all, but I assume most of us know the story of Sleeping Beauty. We've watched the cartoon movie where Maleficent is this really evil woman who puts a spell on this poor child and... Yada, 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 right? I'm not going to go through all that. But I love how Maleficent kind of explored, like, okay, well, why was this woman so bitter, right? So angry that she would put this curse on this small child. And it's really just Angelina Jolie playing this character who essentially fell in love and trusted someone, like, And I don't know if you read, but the scene where she wakes up and her wings are cut off of her, they said that they wanted that trauma for her to experience to be similar to and like kind of symbolic to a woman being raped, like that sense of loss of self and that horrificness of trusting someone and having it ripped away from you. And I felt that Angelina Jolie just played that so well because it was so tragic. It was so horrible. Like, I felt when that happened, I was like, oh, my God. And so pretty much it's like, yeah, she became bitter because this person who she thought loved her was really just using her. And he ends up being the king. And so she's looking essentially from the outside looking in like I lost everything. And why shouldn't he lose everything as well? But then she becomes like this uh, mother figure for the child. And I'm, of course, running through it really quick, but I love the whole retelling of it because, you know, Sleeping Beauty was like, oh, when, what was it? When uh, one true love's first kiss will wake up the Sleeping Beauty and you have where like the boy goes in and kisses her, but it's like, they never met. So how is that like her one true love, right? They never even met. Like, what does that matter? But it was Angelina Jolie kissing her on the forehead that woke her up because it's like that mother's, you know, love or something. And I just loved like how you find out that King was such a bastard. And it's like Maleficent becomes like the hero essentially of the story where as in the past, she is portrayed as the villain. And I love the whole, you know, giving a retelling, giving layers and kind of exposing, like, not everything's as black and white. And here is this, you know, backstory to a character that you probably never even bothered to really even think that deeply of because she was just meant to be this one dimensional bad person. But I loved it. 
I loved the, I love Angelina Jolie, first of all. I think that she is amazing. Um, I don't care what anyone says. I love her. And her in this role where she's like with these high cut cheekbones and this horns and everything and just like smirking so, you know, evilly. I freaking loved it. And how really quick before I pass it on to you, I don't know if you remember the scene where like, she's watching the girl from afar as a child and she's almost like rolling off a cliff and at first Maleficent's so aloof she's like oh look she's going to roll off a cliff but then kind of like rolls her eyes and like ends up saving her because you find out that the freaking three fairies that are supposed to raise her are absolutely like incompetent at their jobs so I love Maleficent and that is definitely going to be my number five I was gonna say I still haven't seen it, but I've seen clips, uh, and, and it looks so good. But like my mom raves about this movie, but I love like how Maleficent is so like like I I think I like that that moment where I think to her uh, Sleeping Beauty, which I can't remember her name in it. Is it Aurora? Yeah, something like that. It's mm-hmm. but I love, like how naive and innocent she is compared to someone that has, like, it may seem aloof, it may seem mean, but I think it's, like, to show, like, that loss of innocence along with that, like, that that broken trust, and I think that's also a reason why Maleficent would be so protective of Aurora. Like, it's very, like, you know, feeling like that person's just naive, but you realize they haven't witnessed the things like you have. But I love it that it's Maleficent's kiss that ends up doing it because it learning like, okay, Maleficent isn't quite the evil creature you make her out to be. Speaking of which, whoever plays, um, oh no, it's okay. I, I almost, I was like, got them mixed up, but, um, at Disney, the girl that does, uh, oh, the lady that does, uh, uh, Snow White's character, right? Like, the villain mm-hmm. from that is so freaking funny. I thought it was hilarious. But, um, oh, you know, the real story of Sleeping Beauty is pretty messed up because what ends up happening is when she's asleep, she ends up getting raped by the prince. And the only thing that wakes well, her up is, uh, yeah, the only thing that, like, wakes her up is giving birth to twins. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. That's totally not, you know, a messed up fairy tale. Well, that's why I love, like, Maleficent, like, this retelling of, like, a pretty misogynistic uh, sort of fantasy that we've been rehashed. And, again, it, it perpetuates the whole, you know, all a woman needs is a man's kiss, you know? And I love that it does away with that. Because they do have in it where, like, a boy does, say, kiss her. Right? Like, because Maleficent finds the boy because that's the tale. Like, oh, one, you know, true love's first kiss, right? And she finds this boy and says, like, okay, go kiss her on the lips. And even he's just like, I don't even know this chick, you know? And, like, it does nothing. And so, like, Maleficent's all sad because the whole point is that Maleficent started off wanting to get back at the king, right? And that's why she does this thing. And she's only watching the baby at first because she wants to make sure that the baby does live to the age to then prick her finger to fulfill the prophecy, first of all. But then over the years, Maleficent from afar has really just, um, you know, started loving her, right? 
And as I said, like the three fairies who are supposed to like take care of her are so fucking incompetent at their jobs. They really are. Um, so I swear if Maleficent wasn't watching this kid, she would have been dead already. But so seconds of them watching her. Yeah. So Maleficent does end up like, you know, loving her as her own child, but she can't take back the prophecy. So she you know, feels very sad when Aurora does fall into the coma and she's sad when she realizes that the boy's kiss doesn't do anything. And so she pretty much just kisses her forehead like as a goodbye pretty much and like saying how sorry she is that she, and I think she even says she allowed herself to be dictated by hate and regret and stuff like that, that it was wrong of her. And it was through that that then Aurora wakes up. Right. And there's this scene where um, Maleficent gets reunited with her wings and just how powerful she is is so amazing. Like, I love this movie. I didn't see the second one because I just honestly, again, didn't feel like there was a need for a second one. Um, But it it really goes where um, Maleficent becomes the hero and the protector. And you find out that that's right. I'm remembering it now. She was, like, when she had her wings, she was, like, the protector of the fae and the fairies and all the creatures in her land. And that was taken from her pretty much by a man who never really felt like he was king. And so he pretty much did this because if he has the wings of, you know, the most powerful, uh, you know, fae or whatever, then that establishes him as a truly great king, right? So... It's really just, like, I love how dark it is, but also how it teaches these lessons. Because it is dark. As I said, like, the horror that she deals with when she realizes it. Because they pretty much, like, they spend time together, her and the king. She thinks that he loves her. They, like, pretty much make love. And then the next morning she wakes up and her freaking wings are completely cut from her body. And so like the horror that she experiences from that is just so palpable. Um, and it's really just a great movie. Yeah. It's so sad. You're like, F that King, like <laughs> men, <laughs> this is why us women, like just don't need men in our lives because they ruin everything. You know who else sounded sad? Mm. <laughs> Whichever one of your cats was like crying in the background, uh-huh. like, oh, you sound so sad, Kitty. Uh, is she a monster? What's Tia doing to you? Did you hear that? That was like Sunny, like making his like sound right there. No, they're sad that they can't get to the plants because we have plants now, and they've been trying to eat them. So we have to like put them places that they can't get to, and so they're sad. That they can't get the plants. God, that makes me think of like like Toby. If there's like a bug he can't get to, he just like and he's not very vocal, he'll start crying. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Catch it for you? Put it in your mouth? You want me to chew it for you, you little bastard? <laughs> Sunny's actually really good at catching bugs. But um yeah. Number five is going to be Maleficent. Brittany, what is your number four? I'm gonna go with the page master. Do you remember oh that? God, I love that movie. <laughs> I, I know I'm like bringing some oldies back, but I was obsessed with this movie. By the way, going through my parents' like old antiques and stuff, 
I found my original VHS tape, tape of, of Page Master. Like, and I think I'm going to have to take it back. I'm going to be like, I'm going to tuck this away for memories. But you had, um, what's the kid's name? He was uh, in Home Alone. Oh, no, I have oh, to Macaulay Culkin. Yes, he was the main kid in it. And about how, I can't remember if he was, like, trying to return his books in time or, like, what was going on, but, you know, ending up going into that library, you know, and the books coming to life. And I was obsessed with movies where they brought animated elements into, like, the real life, like, say, like, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which uh, I was looking into a documentary about, like, how they did that and how they made it more realistic and the shading that they did on their characters to make them, like, pop out in real life. But, you know, he had the three books. I can't remember their names, but the one was, like, the horror story book. One was the fairy tale books, and one was the pirate books. And, you know, they're all just trying to protect this little boy, which I don't give me, like, like don't like, give me lying to you, but uh, I think Whoopi, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was the voice of the fairy book, which I just absolutely loved. But I was, like, obsessed with the movie because you know they're going they're getting sucked into each of these stories right and they're just trying to get him back home and that's all he wants but like the fairy tale book i can't remember what happens in that one but the pirate one was the one where like uh oh what was the name of the well but basically the and i was terrified of this movie like it definitely had some like adult themes especially when they get with jekyll and hyde and how yeah. um how um like is it dr jekyll and mr hyde is that how you say it yeah Mm-hmm. But Dr. Jekyll being so kind and you know and you think oh everything's good but they're remembering like oh what about Mr. Hyde and he drinks that medicine and like turns into that evil creature coming after them I, I don't know it freaked me out but them like having to learn to like love each other like the other books but you find out like the pirate book and the fairy tale book are really like wanting to get it on like you can tell that they're actually pretty fond of one another but you know just like i love the way that like they were able to make everything come to life like i remember i think there's like a dragon coming after him in the library and i was like oh my god that's terrifying but you know he eventually gets back but i think it was like supposed to like foster that love of books like like how they come to life for you when you read them and it puts you into a different world but or like how they animated like like the kid into the books like but there was also the real life elements i don't know it was just really good to get it was really good Brittany, you are hitting my nostalgia feels right now I loved the Page Master. I had the VHS. I played it all the freaking time. I 100% loved the Page oh Master. God, it was such- I used to see the commercials for the game, but I could never get like a, get the game for it. I absolutely love that. I watch it all the time. It's like you're hitting my feels right now where I want to, like, go back and relive this whole entire story. Because as you're telling me about it, it's like I can close my eyes and 100%, like, remember everything that you're telling me with, like, the dragon, the pirates, and all that. Um, I just looked, and the Page Master, the movie, had really 
um, had a really good cast. So you have Macaulay Culkin, who played the main uh, character, Christopher Lloyd. You're right, Whoopi Goldberg did play fantasy. And Patrick Stewart played adventure. And freaking... Um, yeah, and Leonard Nimoy played Dr. Jekyll. So you had a really good cast there. I was going to say, like, oh, my God, that's why it looks familiar. You know who does the adventure book? Who? Blink Walker. He did Megatron and Soundwave and the Transformers. Like, no, that's horror. That's why I saw horror. Patrick Stewart did adventure. Horror is done by Frank Walker. Who did like, which is funny because he did Fred Jones and Scooby Doo, and he did Scooby Doo for himself since 2002. So it's such a nod that he would be the whole book when he's played like Megatron Soundwave and then like, yeah, Scooby Doo, which was about scary things. He also did Nibbler on Futurama. I did not know that. I'm sorry, I'm getting so excited. <laughs> I know. As soon as you like mentioned it, Page Master, it got me so hyped up and so happy where I was like, wow. That really, like, hits my childhood. I don't hear nearly anyone talk about Page Master, and it's really freaking unfortunate because it's one of, like, if not, it is definitely one of my favorite movies that I watched as a child. Man, now I want to rewatch it. I, I just think it a lot about how I wish, like, the pandemic wasn't going on because I want to see you so bad, among other reasons why I wish the pandemic wasn't going on. But I was like, think of all the movies we could watch. Maybe we can add, add that to, like, our watch party, like, where we can, like, like Skype or Discord and watch, like, something together. Yeah, if we could ever, like, actually plan that out. But... No, I love this. I love the Page Master. I'm so happy that you put it on this freaking list because I wouldn't have even thought about that. And it's funny, like, it really did feel like there was a time that a lot of movies were trying to incorporate, say, live action and cartoon animation. And they just did a really good job. There was something, like, really magical about watching it and seeing, say, this young boy who was in live action world and then getting kind of thrown into this like cartoon animation world where it obviously was more possible, especially at the time to really portray these things. I feel that if a movie like page master had come out today, it wouldn't be in a cartoon way. They would have put it all like CGI and shit. And I'm happy that, yeah, I'm happy that a movie like this was made back then because there was just something really special about, like, that cartoon animation. I know. It was something very, like, unique. And I haven't seen a lot of things do that quite, or do that quite as well as what they did. No, not at all. Like, as you said, I think it's, like, Page Master, Framing Roger Rabbit. By the way, everyone, I am so sorry that all of the, like, Cop cars are behind us. I don't know if you can hear that, but it is like uh, fire alarms and freaking police car sounds like central over here. I hear like Polly in the back shouting, going, that's because we live in Yonkers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, oh, and, he said, and he goes, oh, because we live so close to the police station. I know. I know that. <laughs> 
Yeah, we live like literally across the street from a police station. It's like, and there's a hostel near us. So it's just all the time. I feel like it's the perfect storm, Brittany, for freaking like hot cars and ambulances. Do you remember, by the way, this is so random, but the first time you and I like Skype, I don't know if we Skyped or like how we like FaceTimed each other because neither of us have iPhones, so it wasn't technically FaceTime. But the first time that we like talked, through it or no we did google hangouts yeah so i don't know if you remember the first time we google hangout and i was living back with my parents and we're talking and i guess like what a fire truck went by or something and we're talking and you like stop and you go are you okay like i hear you know whatever the sounds in the background I'm like yeah i'm fine that's just yonkers for you <laughs> and that's where the they're burning down yonkers came from Oh, yeah, the burn down the Yonkers. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that you put Page Master down. Um, just such a good movie. Wow. I'm so happy about this. So number four is Page Master. I'll get number three. And that is going to be The Witcher. And I know, Brittany, that you still haven't seen The Witcher. But it's funny because... I did this whole video on YouTube where I said that I liked Cursed more than, say, The Witcher. But I'm putting The Witcher on this list, you know, higher than Cursed. But I still do stand by the fact that I liked Cursed better than The Witcher. I just, when you had did The Sword and the Stone, I just thought it made more sense to put Cursed, like, right afterwards. Because we were both talking about, like, King Arthur and all that. But shit. Yeah, so The Witcher is another Netflix show that uh, stars Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia, which I guess if you're a video game person, you would know because people really seem to enjoy The Witcher video games, even though that itself is based on a book series, right? So you have Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia, who he's this, like, you know, monster hunter and all that. And he's very stoic and doesn't talk a lot and uh, very, I guess, unlike, say, uh, his character as Superman, because he says fuck every, like, two seconds. He's just done. He's, like, 100% done. What'd you say, Brittany? He went from good boy to bad boy. Yeah, exactly. So he, like, goes and fights monsters because I guess you find out that, you know, he's a witcher, but witchers aren't really a thing anymore. So at this point, he's kind of like, say, a mercenary, just does it to get paid. He'll go from town to town, and if they need, like, him to slay a monster, they'll throw him some money or they'll toss a coin to the witcher. Uh, one of the best uh, songs to come out of 2019. But um, there's this whole, like, subplot of this character called Yennefer, who I absolutely love Yennefer, and she is a witch. Well, she becomes a witch. She's at first this very, say, disformed person. She has, like, a hunchback, and her father throws her to these, like, this coven of witches where she gets kind of fixed and she becomes like probably the most powerful they say like the most powerful mage ever and you have that going on you have Geralt who needs to meet up with this princess uh, uh, what's her name Siri, 
who, you know, her mother in that kingdom was destroyed by enemies. So she's off looking for Geralt. It's very, it reminded me of Cursed. I'll tell you this, Brittany, really quick. So you know how in Cursed where um, Nimue's mom was like, go take this sword to Merlin. I thought it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be like in The Witcher where it was going to take the whole entire season for them to like meet up. But thankfully in Cursed, like Nimue and Merlin meet up in like, episode six but in the witcher literally the last five seconds of the season is when uh Geralt and Siri finally like meet up with each other but there's a lot going on it's been a while since I've watched it and to be honest the world is so vast and say like complicated not complicated in a bad way but just like you know a lot going on it's complex thank you that's a better word so it um you know it there's so much going on. It's so complex that I can't remember like everything that's going on in it, but I love the cat to me. It's not so much even the story. Cause to me with curse, the story is great as well as the characters. But with the witcher, I really love the characters. I think that Henry Cavill plays an amazing Geralt. Uh, Anya Chalotra as Yennefer is like God tier acting. She is so powerful. Like, I even said in my review back in the day, I was like, yeah, this show is about Geralt, but it's all about the freaking women in this because they're all so powerful and strong in their own way. Like even Siri's mother, who is a queen, is like fighting alongside her husband in battles, like doesn't care to kind of sit back and be like this, you know, maiden pretty much. But where I think that the Witcher conquers curse is the sword fighting the if you are a fan of like this medieval fantasy type of world where you just want to see people like go ham on each other with swords the witcher is perfect for you because they oh man especially that first episode like Geralt's battle what did you say the, uh, what's it the hierography I can't pronounce it uh Curography, like, like how they set up everything. Like the, I can't remember how to pronounce it. I, I just went stupid. Curography. I don't know what you're talking about. I wish I like, knew. But... You know, like the rehearsed, like how they do things. Like when you're dancing and they have choreography. Oh, the choreography, choreography. Oh my god, now I can't say it. Oh my god, the choreography. <laughs> choreography the choreography i don't know yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah that is like 100 the best i've ever seen like better so you know curse like has fight scenes but that is better than like their fight choreography there you go there it is um their fight choreography is better than game of thrones like what henry cavill was able to accomplish and like how he moved and was like the first episode alone i remember watching it right and i was like oh 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 what oh my god like this is like insanely good i was just like blown away of how good the sword fights were so yeah i know i did probably a terrible job explaining it but again like there is a lot, and the one thing that you have to keep in mind about The Witcher before going in is that there are several timelines, but they don't tell you what's in the past or anything. You have to kind of realize it yourself. Like, 
when they do say the pass, they don't do it in a different lighting or anything, or they don't go, you know, this many years beforehand. So you kind of have to like make it up in your head where you're like, wait, that person died last episode, but this is a scene where that person's full on in it. So this must be in the past. And then you have to be like, well, Geralt's hair looks a little different. So I think that's in this. So it does get a little confusing, and especially if you don't know right away. Like, when we were first given the show, they didn't tell us, like, hey, there's multiple timelines. So I was like, wait, wait, they were, Geralt was just there. How is he here now? But um, so that gets a little confusing, and I think that the showrunner said that in season two, there's not going to be, like, there's going to just be one timeline, which, thank God, because that was, like, mental gymnastics at some point. But, yeah, The Witcher. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, like, I knew about The Witcher because the games were so popular, especially when I was working at GameStop. And I actually own Witcher 3, which is, like, supposed to be, like, one of the most popular ones. That's, like, the, the newest one, right? But mm-hmm. I I wanted to stream it, and everybody was like, do not stream it. I was like, why? They're like, there's so much sex in there. There's so many sex scenes, like, you might oh, yeah. like for the sexy. I was like, oh my gosh! But- I will tell you. I will tell you really quick. Like, yeah, in the show, in the show itself, like Geralt's a hoe. Like he is getting with women constantly, and then when him and Yennefer meet, because she is so like just this like I don't give a fuck type of person. Um, when they meet and like the sex that they have, insane! <laughs> oh my gosh! Like I, I, I really want to watch it. And also, by the way, I love how the internet went fucking insane over Henry Cavill building a PC because he's such a gamer nerd. <laughs> and everyone's like, he's a gamer nerd, apparently. Oh yeah, well, you know, like that's like. I thought about Henry Cobble because I was playing World of Warcraft and then they say he was playing World of Warcraft when he got the call about Superman. Oh, I didn't know that, but I know that he's like in, um, there's been like interviews like, Hey, what are you doing during quarantine? He's like the same thing I was doing before quarantine, just playing video games. Like apparently right. he's a huge fucking nerd and you would never expect it. Cause like, you know, there is a stereotype that like, you know, you don't think nerds are these brolic ass people and you don't get more yeah. brolic really than say Henry. Like it's the rock and like Henry Cavill. <laughs> They're like the monsters. <laughs> I, I, and I think it's like when, especially you have somebody that's really rolling in as like a great actor. Uh, I, sorry, I was thinking about his CGI mustache and I was like, how they were like, you know, they won't be in there because, you know, they didn't have to re-record those parts. And I'm like, well, that's good at least. I don't fucking know. But, um, yeah, to me, it's like I know everyone kind of associates Henry Cavill with Superman, but I associate him with The Witcher because he, he really was a fantastic pick for this character. He said how much he loved um, the video games and the character beforehand. You can tell that he put a lot of effort in crafting his character as well as the fight choreography because it is amazing. Like, if you're the type of person that you look out for that, and I feel like I am, like, if you're going to have fight scenes, I I want the fight to look good, right? And 
you appreciate that he obviously put as much effort as he did. And by the way, the fight in the first episode is all one take. And it's really, that's just really cool to see. Um, and again, him, like, so him and Anya, like for Yennefer, they work really well with each other. I love the character who plays the, um, oh God, what's his name? The guy who sings toss your toss uh, coin to your witcher. Um, like there, because that relationship's so funny because, you know, Geralt is so stoic and so, like, mm, like he grunts, like, 80% of the freaking show. And then for him to have this character who's just so, like, lighthearted and just so, like, opposite and have them on an adventure together is pretty hilarious. I would just say that the only thing that, again, bothers me about season one is the multiple timelines and... The CGI for the monsters isn't the greatest, which if you have a show where it's known for its monsters, you kind of want to, like, improve that a little, right? And I think that's where I felt that Curse kind of uh, conquered that a little bit more. But either way, The Witcher, like, I still love that show. There's nothing really wrong with that show. It is still a fantastic show. I cannot wait for the second season. And I just love Henry Cavill as Geralt, like, best and uh Jennifer you have to watch it Brittany like I know I say that about everything that you have to watch it but I'm really surprised that you haven't watched Witcher yet like tell Aaron to sit down I know you guys watch things at night you pick things to watch and that'll be it so watch the Witcher I know I do need to see it I need to see it that's like it's been so long since I've actually sat and watched something. That's why I was interested. I was able to finish, like, that documentary. It was, like, three hours long. But uh, but I was going to say, on that note, Tiger King is insane, and I need to finish that, too. Tiger King. Oh, that's – yeah, you got to finish Tiger King. I, like, I don't think I'll ever watch a documentary that is as batshit as Tiger King is. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I, on that note of like you know Henry Cavill, World of Warcraft and stuff, uh, I told I told the guys I said you know uh, for this class I was playing like this race I was playing Titan. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Okay. I think it's starting to fade. Sorry, it was just very sharp. But I was gonna say uh, you play a night elf, right? Uh, you can get a mount that's like a big tiger, and I was like, I want to rename a night elf Carol Baskins and just ride around on a big <laughs> Um, Hashtag Carol Baskin totally kills her husband. I'm just totally. like... Totally. Like, she I know this isn't a Tiger King um, show, but Carol Baskin killed her husband. She fed him to tigers. You should just know that. I mean, I guess if you're looking to get rid of a spouse and you have a shit ton of tigers, it's kind of, you know, just put two and two together. But yeah, uh, The Witcher is my number three. Brittany. What is your number two? Which I guess is also your number one. So what do you got for us? I go with the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Could, could I just, like, put that whole universe as that? Kind of like The Hobbit? Yeah, of course. I'm just writing it down right now. Go for it. I was going to say, with Pirates of the Caribbean, I love that it's, like, one. We love the adventure stories of, like, pirates and, you know, 
people that hunt pirates and, you know, the great open sea and the flamboyancy of, like, Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, you had the first one where you're dealing with, like, basically, like, an undead crew that's cursed to walk forever, you know, and, like, in the moonlight, they turn into skeletons, which is really fucking terrifying, by the way. Like, especially the opening scene, like, not the opening scene, but the scene where they're, like, coming into the village or, like, the town at night. And you're over skeletal, and it's just, like, so scary. But, like, um, or that scene where, like, the bone breaks off, and you look at it later, and it's just, like, a rotting hand there. I was, like, I thought that was pretty nasty. But I love, like, uh, Elizabeth Swan on the crew. You know, the very, like, the kidnap story. You know, I just thought it was all really good. But then... uh, you know, you had the one with uh, Davy Jones and his tentacle face. And, like, I don't know. Like, I love that kind of fantasy, like, where it's more of an open world. I know Dead Man's Chest didn't do as well as, like, say, the first one. But, like, I, I enjoy every part of it. Except for the one with, like, the mermaid girl. And it didn't have, like, any of the other characters except for Jack yeah. Sparrow. And uh, the dude from the first one, the captain. Captain Barbosa, yeah. how he becomes, like, a bad guy again. He's, like, work. And I'm like, I don't like any of this. Give me back the old shit. We didn't need all this other bullshit. Which now, like, didn't they say they're remaking Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, so they're rebooting Pirates. And there's already two different um, projects that are happening. You have uh, Karen Gillan, who plays Nebula. And she's going to be in... Um, a Pirates movie, and then you have Margot Robbie going to be in a Pirates movie, but they're going to be two separate Pirates movies, so a little confusing there. I'm going to say, I don't that normally they do a reboot like when they were bad or like, you know, like that. I don't feel like the Pirates of the Caribbean series really needed a reboot. I feel that they're doing a reboot because of all the controversy that's surrounding Johnny Depp. They don't want to open up the door to have it where maybe he would return. That's just my thought process on it, because as we speak, him and his ex, Amber Heard, are literally in a dispute of who abused who, uh, which it sounds like both, honestly. Um, It sounds like both were physically abusive to each other. So, yeah, I think that's probably why they want to do that. Disney does not want any controversy. They want to get away completely from anything like that. But um, I love that you put the Pirates of the Caribbean movies down, right? Let me tell you a little story. Want to hear a story, Brittany? You down for a story? Yeah. So... When I was younger, I was friends with this girl, Vanessa, and we, she was a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, and the second movie had come out, and we were hanging out, because she lived in Rockland, so, like, that's a little far away when that was before I even drove, so I think that my mom needed to, like, drop me off, so I stayed the night, right? And so we went to go see the movies, because that's what you did when you were a teenager. You went to go see, like, the movies, because you didn't do anything else, and so we saw the movie, but I had never seen the first Pirates of the Caribbean, right? But we saw the second one, and I loved it. But, you know, at the end of the second one is when Captain Barbosa steps down. It's supposed to be this, like, big moment, like, oh, shit, Captain Barbosa's back. But I'm like, who the fuck is this guy, right? So then I had to go back and watch the first one. Then I'm like, oh, that's why it's so important, right, that he's there. 
I love the whole thing. I, I loved Jack Sparrow. I was so excited when Elizabeth and him kissed because I did not like her with Will at all. Um, you're right. In the first you know, like, movie. What did you say? Nobody likes the heroes in movies. They want the, the anti-hero. The anti-hero is just more interesting. Um, but... Freaking, you're right, in the first movie, to me, what was terrifying was when Elizabeth was on the crew and she finds out that there's this curse and she steps out and there's just skeletons everywhere. I was like, oh, my God. Um, It's so funny that the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were uh, made because that's a really popular ride in Disney World. And the first movie wasn't made to be part of a franchise. It was just supposed to be a one-off. That's why it ends pretty, like, you know, tied in a bow. And that there's so many years in between the first and the second one is because it wasn't meant to have a sequel. But I loved it. I loved the trilogy. I didn't see anything else after that, right? But I love it. I loved how there's so many layers to all these characters. I particularly love Captain James Norrington and his... uh, What did you say? But of course you did. I just love how it was like, at first he starts off as this like pansy sort of, you know, guy who you're like, oh God, so annoying. But I loved in the second movie where he has this like fall from grace where he's like, I was a captain and now I'm like rolling around in pig shit. And he like joins Jack's crew originally, but then betrays him because he's like, oh, if I get Davy Jones's heart, you know, I'll be in good standing with, you know, the British uh, army or whatever. And then he goes back to that, but then he sacrifices himself for Elizabeth. And I'm like, Elizabeth's got everyone. Elizabeth had Will, she had Jack, she had James. I was like, holy shit, Elizabeth, you got everyone. But um, honestly, it was just great because there's so much character development in every single one of them. Um, I love Davy Jones. Someone even pointed out, and I think you and I have talked about this, that that movie was made quite some time ago at this point, and that CGI for Davy Jones is better than most of the CGI now. It's definitely better than any CGI that the DCEU has right now. And yes, I'm saying that. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League does not look good, okay? Um, but anyway, <laughs> I just want to throw that out because in case we had any more listeners, we need them to shut off right now. But um, I'm joking. Please keep listening. It's funny. <laughs> um, but I love the whole thing. And I love how the trilogy ended with, you know, you have... so. I'm going to make a comparison right now, and they're really not alike, but it just reminded me a little of it. Um, Jack had a Tony Stark moment in the third one, right? Someone who's considered so selfish all the time is the person who, you know, he wanted that. He wanted Davy Jones's heart so that he can become an eternal captain. But he sees Will dying. He sees how upset Elizabeth is. And grant you, Elizabeth is a woman that he wanted to be with, right? But he decides to make the sacrifice and have Will be the one stabbing Davy Jones's heart so that Will could not only remain in the land of the living with Elizabeth, but then also be his own captain of the ship. Gosh darn it, Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. (laughs) Captain Jack Sparrow. I love that whole thing where it's like, he must be, you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of. And he's like, but you have heard of me, haven't you? 
That's all we want. I, that's all we want. I also love Britney. I loved in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I loved um, the guy with the wooden eye and his friend. There's a scene in the second movie where they're like um, on a boat and the guy with the wooden eye is like trying to read and he's like, and the guy's like, but you don't even know how to read. And he's like, it's the Bible. You get credit for trying. <laughs> like, I just, I love that. <laughs> you get credit for trying. <laughs> um, I love this, uh, this whole franchise. I, Brittany actually brought this up, like, what was it, two months ago or something? You were like, let's talk about Davy Jones. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I love Davy Jones. Like, no lie. I love, like, the lullaby music. I love the organ music he plays. Like, uh, I think he is a very cool tentacle boy. <laughs> when he's playing that big organ with, like, the tentacles, and it's, like, so crazy and, like, powerful. And the, the whole thing is that he loves uh, Tia Dalma, who you find out is, what, this real goddess of Calypso or something, which That's is crazy. Cause you, you know what's crazy though really quick that i had read if you go back and watch the first one there's a familiar face in that movie and i don't know if you remember but zoe zaldana was in that movie you know who plays gamora yes because she was what she won the female uh pirates that wanted on the crew and she and slaps she, jack sparrow yeah. Yeah, so I remember, like, going back, I was like, oh, my God, Zoe Zaldana was in this, and she was made to seem like she was going to have a big part, but then we never saw her again. You didn't even, like, know what the hell happened to her, and I read this interview for a few years ago that she, you know, she was young when she was doing it, and that she felt like um, it wasn't the franchise for her because she felt like she... I don't know, it's just something about that she felt that she wasn't being, like, treated properly in it, but that maybe she was thinking that maybe it was just because of her age or something like that. So just that she didn't feel comfortable in the world, and she's the one who declined to come back for a second one. And I'm like, holy shit, Zoe Saldana is, like, the queen of, like, sci-fi fantasy shit, if you think about it. Pirates of the Caribbean, Avatar... The Marvel movies, Star Trek. It's like, we stand a sci-fi queen. She is the sci-fi queen. She is the sci-fi queen. But yeah, Brittany, I love you playing Pirates of the Caribbean. We're going to have to have a talk after this podcast because uh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> but um, we are down to the number one in our top ten fantasy shows and movies. I feel like it has been a really great list right now. Um, there's so many nostalgia factors here and also just like, it's wonderful living in, like, say, the world of fantasy, right? So let's go through our others before we get to number one. We have, and I'm sorry again for the freaking. Okay, now it's like going. Brandon down Yonkers. So number 10 is Dragonheart. Number nine is A Knight's Tale. Number eight is The Sword in the Stone. Number seven is Cursed. Number six is The Hobbit. Number five is Maleficent. Number four is Page Master. Number three is The Witcher. Number two is the Pirates of the Caribbean um, franchise. And number one, I feel, is like the king of fantasy, even though we can completely forget what the last season was all about. And it is Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. Like, That's a perfect number one. 
if we throw out uh, season eight, nothing dominated like the airway, not airways, but, you know, TV more than Game of Thrones. Did. Game of Thrones is one of those shows that it didn't matter, like, who you were. It wasn't a show just geared towards, like, people like us who like geeky things, right? Everyone watched Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is one of those shows that it premiered on Sundays, and the Monday after in the office, every single person in my office would talk about, like, hey, did you see last night's episode of Game of Thrones? Like, everyone talked about Game of Thrones. Everyone was, like, invested in Game of Thrones, uh, like, for years, even before I even watched it, I had family members who were like, why aren't you watching Game of Thrones? Um, and, you know, if you watched it, you know what the hell it's about. And, of course, there are the people out there who I think want to not watch Game of Thrones just because it was so popular. And I think that they're happy that season eight sucks so much. But you get seven solid seasons and to have like it be such a cultural phenomenon that it was. Oh my god, these freaking ambulances are going to drive me insane. But, um, like, Game of Thrones inserted itself into so much pop culture, right? Like, I even remember watching an episode of iZombie, and there's a scene where Liv goes, the Lancasters send their, the Lannisters send their regards, and it's like, um, you know, just like, inserting itself in every other like movie and TV show, people just talking about Game of Thrones, right? And it's based on the books by George R.R. R. Martin. I don't need to go into everything that it's freaking about, but there's so many great characters, so many great um, storylines and what it's all about. Just this whole, like really like Game of Thrones, like who's going to sit in the throne at the end, which we're not going to talk about season eight because they completely like shat on all of that. But this whole story of Cersei and the North, you know, wanting to gain independence from the seven kingdoms and all of that. And just like the games that Cersei played and all of it just, and the Starks and the Lannisters and everything that just went on in Game of Thrones and freaking Daenerys, uh, the Tar, you know, Targaryen, coming from another land to finally reclaim her spot on the throne after her fam. Cause the whole thing, right. Is that the Targaryens literally sat on the throne for like 600 years. And then when her father became a tyrant and was finally usurped, you know, all of the Targaryens except for her and her brother were killed and they had to flee to a completely different land. And so it's her story also of, you know, uh, finally gaining, you know, the, the numbers and the confidence to even try to reclaim said throne. And it's just so much. There's so many characters throughout the frickin' season, so much shit that goes on. I can't sit down and tell you exactly everything that happened. But, yeah, Game of Thrones is number one. What do you think, Brittany? <laughs> I, I think that it's like, it was so ambitious to have that many actors, so mm. many technically main characters in it, and all the other storylines. Like, George R. R. Martin must have had, like, sheets and, like, posters everywhere, like, you know, like, when people were trying to figure out, like, a mystery, and they have all the, like, strings connecting, 
and it was just like uh, I wouldn't be able to keep up with it. Like there was times like I would hear about something, I was like, "Who is that?" Have to look it up, and I'd be like, "How are they connected to this person?" Oh, okay, let me look it up. Like let me let me figure this out because I get very confused. Well, if you like think about it, everything started with you have Ned Stark from the North who is friends with. Robert Baratheon, who's the king, you know, of the Seven Kingdoms, right, and they're friends, and it's always maintained that the North and the South, you know, are friends that way, right, and they maintain everything, but it's once Robert Baratheon is killed and his wife Cersei looks to pretty much um, stop Ned Stark from revealing a secret that will pretty much like destroy her and her family's claim to the throne. That's when everything goes haywire because it's after that that Ned Stark's son Rob Stark decides that the North, because you find out, like the North is so much bigger than all the other kingdoms, and he's like, you know, we're so much further away. Right? We're so much bigger. Why are we even part of this? We want to be independent. Um, and it really starts from there, everything. I guess you could stem everything from that, but then there's, like, so much, you know, revenge on the families. Like, uh, you know, there's this whole thing, like, some of the famous lines, right? Like, the Lannisters send their regards, but it's also, like, the North remembers. And, you know, that's, like, the thing. Like, you know, make sure you tell them the North remembers and shit. And so there's just so much. Drink and no things. What did you say? That's what I do. Drink and no things. <laughs> See, uh, let me tell you, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister is one of my favorite characters in that entire series. Like, I, if there is one thing that season eight did correctly, it was making sure that he didn't die in the end. I was gonna, I was sitting there and I was like, all right, who's gonna die? And I said to myself, man. It's going to suck, but I feel like Tyrion is going to die. And when he didn't, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I was upset that other people died, but as long as Tyrion was okay, it was, all right, all right. <laughs> for eight seasons. Oh, God. Season eight was just like a wreck. But again, I still say that it had a solid seven seasons. Like, watching Daenerys's journey of being this very timid, meek young woman who is married off to a barbarian who has a very abusive brother and her learning her worth, learning how powerful she is and then gaining that momentum. I mean, that is what sucked really about season eight is seeing her go crazy is that, you know, she was such an inspiration for so many, you know, uh, young women. I mean, one of her nicknames in the show was the breaker of chains. And that's because she literally went to this place that like enslaved all these people and literally freed them, you know, like everywhere she went, she made sure that there were no slaves around. So it's like, you know, that does suck about season eight, but yeah, she was such a great character. I loved, um, even I love Jamie's whole story. Again, we're, completely disregarding season eight because he has such a redemption arc throughout seasons one and seven, the hound. I love like so many great characters and even like game of Thrones made the perfect villain because Cersei as much of a bitch as she was, she was so good at what she did. She was so smart. You love to hate her. Like I was just thinking about Cersei the other day for some reason, because there's this scene really quick, right, where 
she you know how like there's that whole line where it's like oh knowledge is power and she's speaking to um this character Littlefinger who says that he's like because he's all about like gossip and knowing and he's like you know knowledge is power and Cersei looks at him and she has all these guards and she goes guards surround him guards pick up your knives guard slit his throat and she likes and she goes oh wait never mind I changed my mind right and she goes power is power like like, I'm the fucking queen and I said and what I say goes so power is power and it's like oh my god there's so much that I could go on and on on but the books are great as well I've actually read uh, the books afterwards, and I wish George R. R. Martin would hurry his ass up and come out with the next book because he said that the the direction that the books are going to go in are is going to be different than the show because pretty much the books ended around season four. So anything after season four was completely like the people behind Game of Thrones, the show, just making shit up. So um, Georgia R. Martin says that that's going to be different. Oh, one last thing. Ramsey was one of the best villains in TV history ever. You're like, you like, I just imagine you standing up on the stage and going, I'm going to let you finish. But uh, they had the best villain. They were the best villain of all time. When Paul and I were first watching Game of Thrones, I think we, like, sat there for a while, like, thinking about what happened to Theon and what Ramsay did to Theon, and it's like, oh, shit, he really cut his dick off. <laughs> I know. I... It was so bad, but um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones? I was going to say, um, I... I guess with Game of Thrones, like, I kind of came in kind of at a weird time on it. And now a lot of just trying to catch up because, you know, everybody was so excited about it and I wanted to watch it. But, you know, watching the first season stressed me out so bad that it took me forever to pick it back up because of, like, what initially happened with Daenerys. And so that's why I was like, oh, man, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. But, uh, but The Hound is actually the reason I came back because I was like, he's such a great character. He has such development. He's such a soft boy, but the scariest man in existence kind of thing. Um, I love, like... Oh, yeah, he's a great character. Like, his whole entire story arc. Uh, I wished better for uh, Jamie Lannister. I wish things, but like I love his character in general. Was amazing. He like I feel bad for like I feel bad like I feel bad for Brienne of Tarth. Like that was my whole thing. I was like Jamie Lannister, how could you? You hurt her. This is why she doesn't open herself up to men. It is because of this shit. And you did this. Like, you had seasons of, like, sexual tension between Jamie and Brienne. Brienne, like, you know, showing Jamie what a healthy relationship with a woman could be. And then Jamie's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my ancestral relationship with my twin sister. What? But. What? 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 But, yeah, um, the hound is great. Oh, God, Brittany, I know, I know that I'm rambling and I'm saying, like, so much. But this is what, like. This is the reason why I think that Game of Thrones needs to be number one, because it was so good. And I'm not going to let see, like, I know people who 
don't even want to talk about the show because they hated season eight so much. And I agree. Season eight was a shit show and a terrible way to end such a fantastic show. But to me, it still doesn't take away like for, you know, it doesn't take away from how great the actual show was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. It's like uh, Dragon Ball Z was so great and Dragon Ball GT was terrible, but like no one allows GT to tarnish Dragon Ball Z. You just go, well, it's not canon. (laughs) We just pretend that never happened, right? We pretend it never happened, so season eight never happened. But Brittany, um, we did a fantastic job going through this. I think that this is definitely one of my favorite uh, lists that we've done simply because these are such great uh, movies and TV shows, just living in the whole fantasy realm. And I feel like it was perfect for you because definitely when I talk to Brittany, she seems to be more into like stuff like this. So I thought it was great. I just want to be the nerd lord, okay? Let me <laughs> but I can't be the nerd lord until I watch Lord of the Rings, though. Then I can be the nerd lord. Then you can get, well, no, you have to watch Game of Thrones in its entirety and watch Lord of the Rings, and then you can get your nerd key. Until then, you can't get your nerd key. You're like, I'll, t- I'll take the princess role. I just, I'll, uh, I'll be a squire. I'll, uh, uh, I'll be a squire. I love it. It, it. That actually suits for this list. But, Brittany, before I let you go, um, please promote yourself, let everyone know where they can find you, what's going on next, and all that good stuff. I'm going to say, you can find me on Twitch at IttyBittyBrit. Uh, my Twitter handle is IttyBittyBrit0. Then uh, I just finished the I beat Outlast, which was freaking terrifying. I realized I have to get very drunk to play that game. Actually, I think I stayed sober last time, though. Or maybe I did have a shot or two. I can't remember. I, I can't remember, but it was scary. Um, I'm about to t- start Alan Wake tonight, which I think is, from what I gather from it, is the story of a guy that is an author, and I think his wife and child or just his wife go missing. And I think it's very like uh, Stephen King, where, like, uh, you know, maybe the, like, what he thinks about writing is kind of manifesting or like he's losing his mind, but it's supposed to be fairly scary, but yeah, you can find me there. We, uh, we have a great community. We just like to hang out and everybody picks on me. Like everybody's like my big brother or something, just wanting to make my life hell. But you know what? I love them anyways. Tom, Brittany, I'll fight them for you, but no, please everyone. Make sure that you check all of that out. Brittany is a very dedicated uh, and very talented streamer, so make sure that you check that out. And please keep an eye on everything that Geek Vibes Nation has to offer. We are geekvibesnation.com. That has links to all of our social media platforms. Check out all the podcasts that I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, as well as Scene and Nerd, Marty and Cough. Marty and Kathy's Coffee Binge, um, My Tea Time with Tia, Geek Fives Live, and so many more. We have movie reviews, opinion pieces. We have several interviews coming up that we want to post, but we also have ones that we did before. I did personally um, a bunch of interviews for some of the cursed actors, including Gustav Skarsgård, which was so amazing. And the director of the first two episodes of Curse, Zetna Fuentes. So please make sure you check that out. 
Um, yeah, Brittany, it's been wonderful as always. I'm happy to have you back and I hope that we can do this next weekend as well. You don't have something else to do because it'll make me cry, but, um, yes, (laughs) everyone, please let me know what your favorite fantasy TV show or movie is and just have a great rest of your day. Bye guys. Y'all have a great rest of your Sunday. See y'all next time.